0: Welcome to the Antioch Sheffield podcast. We are so glad that you can join us for today's message, which is brought to you by Pastor Todd Roberts. For more information about Antioch Sheffield, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk. Scripture for today is 2 Peter, chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. But there
1: were also false prophets in Israel just as there will be false teachers among you. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master who bought them. In this way, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. Many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality. And because of these teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. In their greed, they will make up clever lies to get hold of your money. god condemned them long ago and their destruction
0: will not be delayed this is the word of the lord
1: great well thank you denise can everybody hear me all right great well um well it's really good to be together and it's really good to uh to hear from carol thank you for sharing your testimony carol Um, It is that's a powerful story about the peace of God in the midst of uh, really unpeaceful circumstances. So uh, I want to start this morning with a story and um, uh, one of my own kind of kind of partly my story is a story that I have a weird connection to. But in the spring of 1993, I took a trip to Waco, Texas to visit Baylor University, where I was. Uh, considering attending uni and actually did end up going to Baylor. And and after a few days of touring the university, we drove to visit my uncle who lived about two hours away near Dallas. And, And when we arrived, he informed us that Waco was on national news. And this was a surprise to us because everything had seemed perfectly normal when we left Waco that morning. But we learned that on that very same morning, Texas law enforcement officials had raided a compound about 20 miles outside of Waco, which was the headquarters of the Branch Davidian sect. And the raid had gone badly and and several federal agents along with a few Branch Davidians were killed in the raid. And now the FBI was on the scene. And that led to a 51 day standoff that culminated in a final battle that, that uh, was on international news. And, and there was a, a battle and a fire on the compound, and it led to the deaths of 79 Branch Davidians, 21 of whom were children under the age of 16. Now, the Branch Davidians were led by a charismatic, but a deeply deceived man named David Koresh. And Koresh saw himself as a messianic figure, and he, he believed himself to be the group's final prophet. But his life was anything but holy. He had a harem of women he called his spiritual wives. And some of those wives were as young as 12 or 13 years old. And with this harem, he fathered numerous children. And there were reports of child abuse. And, and it, was, uh, it was just a, a really messy situation. And it was Koresh's false teachings and prophecies, which inspired the Branch Davidians to resist law enforcement until nearly all of them were killed. So it's a tragic story. And it's an extreme example of what we're talking about today, which is false teachers. Now, this morning, we're continuing in our series on the book of 2 Peter, and we're going to begin to look at chapter 2. And if you read through the book of 2 Peter, you'll notice that there's a significant shift in the tone of the letter once you get to chapter 2. So if chapter 1 is the carrot, chapter 2 is the stick. I mean, Peter shifts from reminding us about the great truths of our faith and instead we're given a very different kind of reminder. He's given us a stark warning about the danger of false teachers. Now, why is this important for us to talk about this morning? Well, my goal today is not to create a fear or paranoia about false teachers, but you know, in this age with when anyone with an internet connection can amass a worldwide audience, we have to recognize that not all of those people deserve our attention or our trust. And and, and the question though, that we have to ask is, you know, how do we know who we should be listening to and who we should ignore? And that's why we need discernment. You know, we we all have to listen, uh, sorry, we all have to learn to discern whether someone is trustworthy or not. And that's one of the reasons why I'm so thankful that Peter has written this chapter, because he helps us to learn to discern the difference between true and false teachers in the church. But before we get into the text, I want to make just a couple of observations. Um, First of all, there are two equal and opposite errors that the church can make when it comes to false teachers. And the first is that we can ignore the threat of false teachers. I think that most of us, you know, I think we have a general idea that there are false teachers out there, but, but it's not something that we imagine will affect us personally. However, Peter paints a very different picture in verse one. He says, but there were also false prophets in Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. So Peter is telling his audience here that false teachers will come, and as we'll see in the rest of the chapter, it's clear that false teachers were already circulating in the church at the time Peter wrote this. See, what was happening was these itinerant teachers were traveling around from church to church under the guise of being genuine Christian teachers, and they would charge these substantial fees to speak and teach at these different churches, and and, and as we'll see, though these teachers were were not only teaching destructive heresies, they were also corrupting the flock with their immorality. So Peter is saying that false teachers were there already, and false teachers were going to come in the future. But this isn't something that was that was unique to Peter's audience in the first century. I mean, the fact is that that this chapter is included. The fact that this chapter is included in the Bible is. I think an indication that this is a universal challenge for the church. In other words, false teachers are guaranteed in every era of the Christian church. I mean, there's no era of church history that where there hasn't been false teachers or false doctrines that need to be refuted. And if you think about it from a spiritual warfare perspective, it seems that there's been a strategy of this has been a strategy of the enemy since the beginning, he wants to pollute and corrupt the gospel using false teachers until it uses until it loses its power. So Peter's he's very direct about this. He's saying you will encounter false teachers. Not, you know, there might be the possibility that you'll encounter false teachers at some point. You know, he's saying you will encounter them in the course of your Christian life, and, and this is especially true for us today with the proliferation of online platforms. I mean, you will come across false teachers online. And, and you can think about false teachers kind of like a virus, you know, it's a very, uh, something we're all thinking about these days, but you know, viruses are ubiquitous in our world. Uh, as we're seeing right now, they're very difficult to avoid. But w- what does a virus do? It, it gains access to the body, it multiplies, and if it's unchecked, it can cause severe illness and even death. And false teachers are like a a doctrinal virus that comes into the church and causes disease and destruction. So on the one hand, we can make the error of being ignorant of the threat of false teachers. But on the other hand, we can make the error of having an excessive focus on the threat of false teachers. We can go overboard. In our zeal for good doctrine, the church can sometimes go on witch hunts and end up condemning anyone who doesn't agree with us on every point of our theology. So please hear me this morning. We need to be really careful about labeling someone as a false teacher. I mean, that's a serious accusation. And one of my pet peeves in the church, our church, and I don't know if anybody in our church is doing this, but one of my pet peeves of the church uh, in general is some of the self-appointed online heresy police. I mean, you'll find whole websites and blogs devoted to attacking certain leaders in the church, mostly over disagreement about peripheral issues. You know, I can't stand this kind of thing. You know, I, 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 want, I want to ask people who do this, don't you have better things to do? I, I mean, what have you actually done for the kingdom of God? W- when is the last time you shared your faith? W- when is the last time you cared for someone in, in need? Are, are you genuinely loving the people around you? You know, it's, it's just, it's easy to be a critic and it's easy to write strong words when you're sitting at home and, and you think you're helping, but actually you're just tearing down and unnecessarily dividing the church. So as we look at this topic this morning, please don't take this as license to become the online heresy police. You know, it's rare that God is going to ask you to confront a false teacher. Uh, God can take care of his church all by himself. And really, we'll all do much better job of strengthening and building and protecting the church by just living out the basics of our faith of loving God and loving others well. So we make these two errors about false teachers. We can either, on the one hand, ignore the threat that they actually exist or that they might impact us or or, or come into our lives at some point, or we can have an excessive focus and be really paranoid about it. But before we talk about what a false teacher is, let's talk about what a false teacher isn't. First of all, a false teacher isn't someone who disagrees with you. You know, just because someone doesn't agree with you on every point of your theology doesn't make them a false teacher. Um, <laughs> and, and, and I really think we just have to learn w- to discern between the essential and the peripheral tenets of our faith. You know, the essentials of our faith are things like the divinity of Christ, his death and resurrection, his forgiveness and the, the, the hope of eternal life those are the core components of christianity but there's lots of peripheral issues outside of that which are regularly debated in christianity and and disagreement over those peripheral areas does not make someone a false teacher secondly a false teacher is not someone who makes a mistake in their teaching you know every teacher will get something wrong every now and then uh, myself included now, I'm sure if I went back and listened to sermons that I pre- uh, preached when I first started out preaching, uh, I would find things that I disagree with now. now. I'm sure I'd find things I've said where I think wrong. <laughs> All teachers and preachers are growing in their understanding of their faith. And at times that growth is gonna require a course correction. And thirdly, I just wanna say a false teacher is uh, is not, is isn't someone who's had a moral failing. Now, this is a bit more tricky because as we'll see, immorality is a characteristic of false teachers. But just because someone has a moral failing doesn't always mean they're a false teacher. They could be teaching the right things, but still fall into some kind of sin. But just because they fall into some kind of sin doesn't make them a false teacher. It makes them a human being, (laughs) So so don't jump to conclusions and label someone a false teacher if they've had a moral failing. Now, a moral failing is a serious matter, but it doesn't automatically make someone a false teacher. But as a general rule of thumb, when you're trying to discern between whether a teacher is true or false, it really comes down to motive. You know, false teachers are motivated by what they can get, not what they can give they they use and abuse the church to gratify their desires for money, sex and power. But but if a teacher is motivated by a genuine love to serve and uh, to love and serve the body of Christ, then then they're not false teachers, even if they make mistakes at times. So having identified what a false teacher isn't, <laughs> we still need to understand what a false teacher is. Now how do we identify them? Like how How do we know when we're dealing with someone who hasn't just made a mistake, but is actually a wolf in sheep's clothing? Jesus said it this way in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, he said, beware of the uh, hold on. Um, It looks like we're missing that, but I'll just read it. Um, Jesus said, beware of the false prophets who can come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. So according to Jesus, the primary way we can identify false teachers and false prophets is by the way that they act. It's less about who they are when they're on stage, but more about who they are when they're off stage. And that's concerning in the age of the Internet, because people can be very convincing on stage but we can have no idea what they're like off stage and whether they live with integrity or not and so that's what peter is focusing on he, he the behavior and the motives of false teachers because that's really the main way that we can identify it so let's read that passage again because in this passage peter lists five characteristics of a false teacher so he says this They will cleverly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master who bought them. In this way, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. Many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality. And because of these teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. In their greed, they will make up clever lies to get hold of your money. So what do we see in this passage? First of all, to state the obvious, it it shows us that false teachers are deceptive. Verse one said that they will cleverly teach destructive heresies. See, a false teacher doesn't just walk into a church wearing a name badge badge that says false teacher and stand up and say, hey, thanks for coming, everyone. Uh, Let me just start by saying I'm not a Christian and I think all this is nonsense, but I I think I can get some things from you guys that I want. So I'm just going to teach you a different gospel tonight. No, of course not. You know, if falsehood was obvious, we would never fall for it. So a false teacher cleverly disguises his deception with truth. In other words, he uses t- genuine truths and, and he twists them and he distorts them to to make it more deceptive. I once heard someone say that the difference between a cult and the truth is not that big at first. It's just getting off of the truth by about 1%. But, but think of an airplane. You know, If you're gonna jump on an airplane today and fly to America, you know, it's a journey of three, th- three or 4,000 miles. And if that plane is just one degree off course for the duration of the flight, it's gonna result in you winding up in a dramatically different destination than you intended. So false teachers, what they do is they, they twist and they distort genuine truth in order to deceive people and, and take them to a completely different destination than they intended. Also, I would say that part of their deception has nothing to do with their theology. I mean, part of their cleverness, as Peter puts it in this passage, is in their personality. You know, these people often appear winsome. They're charismatic. They're engaging. They're people that you're drawn to. They may be physically attractive. They may be an engaging speaker. I mean, think of Hitler. I mean, if you watch clips of his speeches, you can see that he was an incredibly engaging communicator and he could hold vast audiences captive with his speeches. So false teachers will use their dynamic personality to conceal the danger of what they're teaching you. Secondly, false teachers, they teach destructive heresies. Oh, there's that verse from Matthew. We'll come back to that. Um, there's, uh, they teach destructive heresies. Uh, this is one of the dangers of a false teacher. You know, they, they teach things that will eventually destroy people and damage the church. You know, we use that extreme example of David Koresh and, and what he taught resulted in the loss of 79, resulted in 79 people losing their lives. Now, these destructive heresies, they can take different forms. And and one of the reasons that Peter's writing this book is because he's refuting some of the heresies that are circulating in the church at that time. Uh, We looked at one of them last week, and it was the, the idea that Jesus isn't coming back. Now, why is that a big deal? Because not only is it contradicting something Jesus clearly taught, but on a practical level, if you don't believe that there is any form of judgment or day of reckoning, then why not just do what you want? You know, why not eat, drink, and be merry? Also, if you read the rest of this chapter, it seems that they were twisting the, uh, uh, twisting the teachings about grace into a license to sin. In other words, you know, it's the idea that I can do whatever I want because God will forgive me. And and that effectively removed any motivation to obey God and resist the flesh. Now, one way to identify destructive heresies is that they often show up in convenient places. In other words, if God's word forbids something that you're wanting to do, then we tend to look for ways to justify ignoring what God has said. For example, I mean, this most commonly occurs in areas of sexuality. You know, if someone wants to engage in sexual activity he or she knows is outside the boundaries of what God has set in place, then someone comes along and gives a rationale for why we don't really have to follow God's sexual ethics. Well, that's just very convenient, isn't it? We need to be suspicious of the kind of teachings that just conveniently allow us to justify Uh, ignoring whatever God has made clear in his word. And that's what heresy does. Another thing that, that this passage makes clear is that false teaching and sexual immorality go together. That's another characteristic of false teachers is that they're sexually immoral. I mean, look again at verse two, it says, many will follow their evil teaching and their shameful immorality. And as you read through the rest of the chapter, Peter elaborates on this, and he, he, he just gives more and more details as to what's going on. So just skipping through, he says, they love to indulge in evil pleasures in broad daylight. They commit adultery with their eyes, and their desire for sin is never satisfied. They lure unstable people into sin. With an appeal to twisted sexual desires, they lure back into sin those who have barely escaped from a lifestyle of deception. So, Peter describes false teachers as leering, lustful men who look at every woman as a potential sexual partner and who attempt to lure new believers who don't know any better into their twisted sexual desires. And of course, that's exactly what David Koresh did. So, false teachers. Are prone to ignore biblical sexual ethics. They may even preach the right things, but, but their lifestyle is immersed in sexual sin. But going back to verse two, notice the first part of that verse. It says many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality. See, that's another trait of false teachers. They can have large followings. Again, False teachers, you know, they're, they're persuasive, they're dynamic, and they, they probably have an intuitive understanding of what motivates and inspires people. And, and they know how to manipulate that for their own benefit. But popularity is not a gauge of truth. Just because someone has a big church or lots of books or a lot of followers on social media or a lot of views on YouTube doesn't make it true. Or as the saying goes, never underestimate the power of stupid people in large groups. You know, false teachers are more interested in gaining popularity than in telling the truth. And it's instructive that Peter begins this section by talking about false prophets in Israel. You know, what did false prophets do? They told the people what they wanted to hear, not what they needed to hear. There were several accounts in the Old Testament of false prophets prophesying victory in upcoming battles because that's what everyone wanted to hear. And they were really popular as a result of this. But when true prophets would prophesy the hard truths which the kings and the people needed to hear, they were rejected and despised. So false prophets and teachers, they can become really popular and amass large followings by telling people what they want to hear. But popularity isn't a gauge of truth. Finally, this passage highlights another aspect about false teachers, and it's that they're greedy. Um, and it says, it says that you know um, that that they will uh, that because of these teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. In their greed, they will make up clever lies to get hold of your money. You see, false teachers aren't motivated by what they can give you. False teachers are motivated by what they can get from you. And they're primarily looking for money, sex, and power. Now, it's not wrong for someone to get paid for spiritual leadership. I mean, for example, in 1 Timothy 5, Paul says that those who work hard at preaching and teaching are deserving a payment. But, but a spiritual leader has to be really careful that the money that money doesn't become the ultimate motive for his or her work. Otherwise, greed is going to take over and it opens you up to all kinds of evil. And one example of this kind of greed in church history was the practice of the selling of indulgences in the 15th century. The idea was that by giving money to the church, you would be granted an indulgence. And that was like a certificate they would give you, which would guarantee that your generosity would shorten a loved one's time in purgatory. now for anyone who's read the Bible, you know that that's an absurd and heretical teaching. But the problem was that in the late 15th century, most people didn't have access to the Bible. Only church leaders did. So the people didn't know any better. And as a result, they gave large sums of money to the church. Now, one of the famous indulgence preachers was a Dominican priest named Johann Tetzel, who famously manipulated people with the catchy slogan, as soon as a coin from the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory springs. Now, this sort of nonsense was partially responsible for the rise of Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation, but this type of thing still happens in modern times. You know, I'm sure most of us have heard of televangelists who promise supernatural blessing or healing to those who give financially to their ministry. Now, these are nothing more than attempts to capitalize on people's fears and misfortunes in order to line their own pockets. So, and a clear trait of false teachers is their greed. So, just to review, Peter gives us five characteristics of false teachers— they're deceptive, they teach destructive heresies, they're sexually immoral, they can have large followings, and they are greedy. Now, those are the behaviors that we can use to kind of identify whether or not somebody's a false teacher. But just to, to close today, I, I, I just wanna ask the question, what do we do? You know, What do we do with this information? That's it's helpful to think about, but, but how do we respond to this today? Well, first of all, I think that we need to be wary. You know we need to be on our guard against false teachers. Remember that verse that Jesus or that passage where Jesus talks to us about them in in the the uh, sermon on the mount he says beware of false prophets. We have to recognize that people like this will come and we we have to be on our guard against them. We have to be cautious not to be deceived by them. Now practically I think that means not just mindlessly listening to anyone on the internet but using discernment and asking the Holy Spirit if this is someone you should be listening to. Secondly, we need to immerse ourselves in the truth. You know, remember that how Peter exhorted us last week, you know, he's talking about the prophets and he says, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. He's talking about the Old Testament prophets there. And he says, you must pay close attention to what they wrote. When we immerse ourselves in scripture, we develop discernment between truth and falsehood. When you know what truth is, you can more easily tell what a fake is. And I've heard that when treasury workers are being trained how to spot counterfeit currency, they're not given examples of counterfeit to study. They're given genuine money and they study it and they study it until they know every single detail. They know the look of genuine money. They know the feel of it, the smell of it. They know it so well that they can instantly spot a fake. In the same way, we need to be so immersed in the Bible that we can also immediately spot a fake. And finally, we need to pray for false teachers. You know, our hearts should be broken for them. You know, remember those heresy police blogs that I was referring to earlier uh, from what I've read on those sites, I've never sensed a genuine sorrow for the people they're criticizing. Instead, there's this, there's often a sense of spiritual superiority, which is really just pride. But if we realize we are genuinely dealing with a false teacher, our hearts should break for them. We shouldn't feel superior. Instead, we should be weeping and praying for them that they would repent of their sin and return to the truth. Because as we'll see next week, unless they repent, they'll face certain judgment. So we respond to the reality of false teachers by being on our guard, by immersing ourselves in the truth, and by praying for these false teachers to repent. But as I close, I just want to reiterate the whole point of the sermon is, is not to create fear or paranoia in you, but to help you learn to discern between the thousands of voices out there. Now, thankfully, we have the Holy Spirit to help us discern right and wrong, good and bad, true and false. And he's promised to lead us into all truth. So I I just want to conclude by praying and asking for his help in this area. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you promised to lead us into all truth. And we just say without you, we will go astray. (laughs) Holy Spirit, help us to love your word. And and to become so immersed in your word that that we can immediately discern when we're hearing a lie. Help us in this age of unprecedented options and, and unprecedented numbers of voices that are vying for our attention. Help us to be discerning in those we choose to listen to and to influence us. Deliver us from evil and lead us into all truth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you, Todd. Um, We do have just a couple of uh, questions that might be good for you to answer. And um, obviously this is a really big topic. um, It can bring a lot of questions up in us. Um, And um, it's good to address as, as we're going through this book. And that's why Peter addressed it with the church. Um, Just one observation and one question. So, uh, one person um, just wanted to make the point that false teachers can be both male and female. Um, I don't, I, just to kind of clarify that that this isn't just connected to one gender. Just to be aware that that it's that it's a place we are, where we have to discern um, for men and women. Um, yeah, that's but right. But secondly, um, I think that one person made the comment that you know, as we're listening to what you're sharing about some of the traits that a false teacher might carry, it, it could be that some of us watching actually identify with some of those and think, oh my goodness, um, I think that particular trait is in my life. And I probably, you know, need to know what to, to do with it. Um, and so just to kind of clarify, what's the difference between a false teacher and then um, somebody who just maybe struggles with maybe one or two of the things that you've mentioned as character traits what's the difference between those things and what can we do about it if we if we actually feel like maybe one of those things is in our own lives
1: sure well I I think it's what I said earlier on that it's it's a lot it's about motive you know all of us struggle in some of these areas, you know, all of us have struggles that we are uh, growing in our journey of we're we're being sanctified, we're being made holy. And that means we're, we're getting gradually, hopefully progressively more freedom as we uh, grow in our faith towards uh, Christ likeness. And so there might be some of these things that you can see in your own life, but I think it comes down to motive, you know, is your desire to be a leader and a teacher in the body of Christ because you want to serve and bless the body of Christ or is it because you want to get something from it is it about you know these people uh, they're they're posing as teachers and leaders in the body of Christ in order to get something to get money sex or power from the body of Christ and 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 the difference really between uh, most of us listening today is that we're not most of us are not teachers and leaders in the body of Christ. And, and it makes it clear in another passage that in James, it says that, um, that teachers are going to be held to a higher standard of accountability. So if you're aspiring to be a leader in the church, then, then you're going to be held to a higher standard um, with how you conduct your lives. Um, And for most of us, you know, we're, we're not doing that. And so there's a huge difference between struggling with something in our own life and, and trying to get, become holy and, and become more like Jesus and, uh, the, and someone who is not seeking to become like Jesus at all, but is just seeking to use the church for uh, his own gratification.
0: Thank you for listening today. To listen to more messages like this one, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk forward slash podcast. We are looking forward to seeing you soon.